Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. This is our recommend or refute episode where we're going to go around the group and each recommend or refute something that we watched separately this week and pitch it to the group. I am your host this week, Michael Dixon. With me, as always, Ryan King. What's up, Ryan? Hey, how's it going? Just prepping for apocalypse. There's always another one around the corner. Most of the time, yeah. yeah especially, uh, especially if you're in Texas in uh, January, February. You know, we we <laughs> yeah. just don't we yep. just don't really know what's going to happen around here. Uh, and John Garcia, how are you hey. doing? I am doing well. I have not gotten to watch as many movies as I want to lately, but I did watch a really long movie with you, Dixon, and so I feel like that evens out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. that counts for two. <laughs> uh, Ryan, you want to kick us off? What did you watch this week? Sure. Again. Uh... I had the opportunity to watch anything. God damn it. He just starts uh, every well, time like this. Yeah, but I was looking for something kind of... I would refute not watching things. Yeah. That's my recommend <laughs> yeah. to refute this week. I did watch some good things. Like with, with my family, we've been catching up on Marvel movies. Not really anything to talk about there. <laughs> uh, I did do a rewatch of Psycho. Um, and there isn't any of, nice. the, any of the creepy things that Vertigo had that we complained about. It, it does hold up. Um but you know, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about those. So I was like, oh, I'll find something else, and I'll, I'll get something I can kind of watch in the background. And as I was clipping through Max, uh, I saw a documentary called Time Bomb Y2K. I think a millennia from now, people are going to look back and say, "Wow, the late 20th century was really a great time to be alive on this planet." Y2K. What does it mean? Using two digits rather than four made good economic sense. But when workers advance clocks to the year 2000, the world could melt down. This is clearly one of the most complex challenges in history. I pray that people don't panic. I was like, oh, that looks interesting to look back on. Uh, And I thought that it would be... It would be an interesting documentary to look back. It's now been quite a while. Um, I think... It can be interesting to talk about Y2K, seeing as kids who weren't even born then can drink now uh, to, to, you know, to, to look back and be like, well, what did that mean? What was it like? Especially because it's a good period of time leading up to Y2K of the technology shift to computers being so prominent in everyone's lives. Uh, and kind of just a look back of like, what did I remember it being? What was it really? Uh, I didn't care for the way this documentary was done because it didn't really give me what I wanted. Uh, It really is an edit job, I would say, not a documentary, in that it literally is just clip followed by clip of either interviews, newscasts, um, like of the time, not in nothing modern, no voiceovers, um, just building the picture of like what led up to it you know, what were people feeling at the time all the way to like ending with talking about New Year's and some little clips at the end of kids talking about how great the future is going to be. That was really sad. Um, (laughs) So it it was interesting more to talk about how it ended up being presented. And I feel like where maybe it failed in the way that it presented things. Uh, And then also some of the things I just found funny going back and looking at things historically. Um, you know, for context, uh, John and I have programmed computers and know <laughs> how this shit works and how bugs come out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, at the time I had already been doing some programming. I was 17 
when the turn of the century happened and i certainly had like a an air of like this is a lot of bullshit that the media is just really looking for something to talk about and some people are really trying to hatch on to and like there were bugs that came up afterwards that weren't a big deal but everyone was like really convinced and the media you know really i think added to the fire and in the documentary does shows that of like people saying that planes are going to fall out of the air and that nuclear meltdowns are going to happen and bombs are going to be fired and all this stuff because the computer thinks it's a 1900. I don't know why. I guess the plane is just going to be like, oh, I can't fly. It hasn't been invented yet. Fuck it. It falls out of the air. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I don't really even understand. Um, in, in, in In the news, like it was interesting seeing them talk about and have the complete inability to explain what the bug was. And I think now a modern audience can like easily understands enough about technology and computers and how things are, you know, stored or calculated to kind of get what it was, but they were really struggling. And what, what cracks me up is like, it's really easy for them to just be like, Hey, and you know, hey, you know what checks are kids. Anyway, back then people knew what checks were. And back then the check, just had like 1900 blank and you had to throw out all your checkbooks and it was a thing in 2000 was like oh i had these old checkbooks i had to throw them out because i couldn't write the date on them anymore so people it was like an easy analogy just be like yeah that's what's gonna happen like you know we wrote down 19 and it just assumes 19 that's really all it is and it's like there are gonna be some weird instances like where something displays wrong and there are things that will like break or not work, but it was really, so you just throw out your old computers and get a new one that has two zero zero blank. Um, but <laughs> like yeah, watching the news, like they actually go through one part and they're like, Hey, you know, it isn't just a program, you know, with changing these programs, tons of microchips already have this hard coded in. And they're like, and think about all the things that microchips are in. <laughs> they do this montage while he's talking of like, toasters and refrigerators <laughs> and then like a garbage disposal <laughs> like, wow you know and then like a tv and a vcr or whatever come to life and try to eat your kids <laughs> because it thinks it's 1901 <laughs> <laughs> yes um and then the, really a lot of the early and this was interesting because i don't remember this a lot of the really early conversation tried to like blame this as a cost-cutting measure and that the reason that this had propagated and why this might be an issue is that everyone in business was like so focused on the quarter and not willing to like do things right that then i'm like looking back i'm like no that just doesn't that doesn't really gel with reality but they, they find it funny that like someone would program they're like hey we need to only store two digits of the year because we're going to save a shit ton of money it's like, yeah, kind of, but I can't tell. I don't think an executive was coming down and telling people that of like, we've got to make our bottom line good, save save some money by cutting two digits out of the year in an era where the news can't even fucking explain how a year is stored. Yeah. Does an executive understand what the fuck his company is doing <laughs> technology wise? Yeah. Um. So it, it, it did present kind of two people that I hadn't really known at the time that I really wish this is where like from a documentary standpoint, it had gone and followed up on, on these people. If they could get interviews or information about them later, try to recontextualize some of the things versus like what was said at the time to then put it back like later and be like, okay, well let's see what happened. One of them is Peter Yeager, who I guess was uh, pretty instrumental in getting the, you know, banging the drum, I guess early as 1993 about the potential of Y2K bug which I now see is always called the year 2000 problem. It was not 
what we called it back then. So I, and that sounds wrong to me, the year 2000 problem. Um, and he made a ton of fucking money off of it. Like he identified it early, but then he got the opportunity to go around and talk to every company in every country and get paid to tell them how much of a giant disaster this was going to be. And the more he hyped it up, the more he got to get around to get more money and get more deals. Uh, and I think that's part of what like got to it. So it'd be interesting to hear more things from him now or contemporarily or people who knew, you know, or went to some of those things to actually like find somebody who was a programmer back then it was like, yeah, he came in and wasn't that big a fucking problem. Right. To, to actually talk about it. Um, the kind of like back third of this movie gets into the, all the conspiracy and craziness that took this from being a problem that needed to be dealt with. Certainly there were like government computers and military computers. It's harder to make changes and that, you know, the things there and the money that was put into that. But then the the media really grabbed onto and a lot of people grabbed onto this like disaster prepping uh, for when the lights turned out and everything went to shit being prepared. And they had some interviews with people back then who were like, oh, I'm done. I sold everything. I'm out here raising chickens like y'all are fucked uh, that I was like, man, I'd like to hear from those people now. Like yeah. what happened like, when did it set in? Like, that's what I would like. Was it was it January 2nd? Was it like February? Was it 2001? Like, when when did you have to go back to the grid? <laughs> I would like to know. Never, <laughs> it never set in. Those people are still out there they never living heard off about their chickens. It. Yes. They're committing harakiri. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, they talked about one guy who I guess was uh, part of the, the, the group that was the fallout from Ruby Ridge and... And also got really obsessed with the Oklahoma City bombing. And then he really hyped up like this is it, disaster prepping and all this stuff about it. And then I saw that like his group like pretty much disbanded. Like he tried to then hype up the 2007 market crash, but then they had already really like fallen apart after nothing fucking happened on Y2K. Um, But the like gun sales were like at an absolute maximum and they had some clips and very minimal. And I wish they had more of this as well of like uh the 700 club and a lot of those like oh uh, yeah where they were talking about the y2k bug um and that was my that was really interesting of and, and that kind of caught me where i was like i didn't think about it i think about it now but i wasn't thinking about it then of like was how, pat robertson predicting the rapture or oh something? yeah immediately right <laughs> oh incredible and and, you know, I thought they're talking about it and I was like, someone was like, oh, how can I sell guns off of this? Right. Was one thing. But literally <laughs> in the part where they're talking about it and its religious implications, one of the one of the people says, how is this connected to Jesus's return? And, oh, my God. And I was like, that's it. That's like the question that like everything comes along. That's like a big thing. And someone's sitting there and it's like, how can I sell guns off of this? Or how is this related to Jesus's return? Like those are the first two questions that come to their mind. Um, but yeah, like talking all that's, and it was like everything pointed, like, look how literally it lines up with it. And like, you know, picking out the little verses or whatever that you're like, I know, you know, then it's like fucking five weeks later, nothing happened. And they were on to something else, right? There was some other now thing or whatever that was. No one knows the time or the place, Pat Robertson, even you. Yeah, yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, but it, and it is interesting. Like that was the part where I, w- I really had missed how much already underlying right wing conspiracy stuff was already building that early. Um, and there are mentions in the news where they're talking about the Y2K problem. And in the background, they're like, 
oh, and Vladimir Putin, da 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 And you're like, because <laughs> that was like, he was sort of just starting to be a thing. And they talk about Osama bin Laden and potential terrorist threats in 2000. Um, mm-hmm. of, and like the underlying things. And I'm like, man, everybody was really focused on the wrong things here to be so obsessed with this potential computer failure that was going to be the end of everything and missing like these real problems we could have actually made some progress on back then uh, that just were under the radar of like other news on the side. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, what a harrowing few months, like the, the Bush Gore election and then the Y2K scare, like all happening within a couple months of each other. And then obviously nine 11 happening, you know, eight and a half months after that, like that's like, it's a lot of shit going on in a short amount of time. Yeah. You're like Putin, Putin became president. Like they gave him more power cause he was prime minister and then he switched to being president. Like that was also that same time period. Like, yeah, this is like a huge shift. And it's interesting. Like every, <laughs> after the like ball drops, they actually show like the ball drop and people who are like, had their home video that are like, Oh, is the power going to go out? And the ball drops are like, Hey, we survived. Um, afterwards they show like interviews with people who are like, at the time like okay this just showed us how much we're all interconnected now and like in order to solve problems we're all gonna have to work together just like we all had to work together to fix this and then like all these interviews with kids yes (laughs) uh all these like little interviews with kids who who i'm like who now are like i'm just that was where i I also want to follow up with one of them i'm like if they were 10 then they're like 30 now i'm wondering what the disillusionment is um that like, you know, like, oh, now we're all together and the technology brings us closer and the, this future is going to be so much different. I was like just hearing stuff. I was like, ah, guys are so wrong. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's that's a bummer that it didn't follow. I mean, it's got to be kind of fascinating from a time capsule to just like watch that footage now. But it really feels like the kind of documentary that should have followed like four people that kind of represent different archetypes. Like somebody yeah. who's always been in conspiracies, you know, maybe uh, Peter Yeager. Uh, as well as like a doomsdayer and then like one Dan average Aykroyd. person. Yeah. Dan Aykroyd's in it. <laughs> this crystal skull vodka. And uh, <laughs> just like, uh, yeah, following them and showing like footage from splicing their footage with whatever other television broadcasting, like, I don't know, that seems like the the way to go with it. But yeah, uh, it, you know, and it, as documentaries, like you, you do have to pick a point. Right. We like to necessarily look at a documentary and think like, oh, it's just presenting some truth. Um, But really, it's it is a story. At the end of the day, you are coming up with a story. You're coming up with a narrative. Um, Otherwise, it is kind of like this where it's like just a dump of stuff that I was like, eh, you know, just like feels like a YouTube video where it's just like, hey, here's a bunch of stuff. Remember this shit like retro stuff and you just play it um, without any voiceover, without any context, without anything. And that what's interesting is because you're only viewing that time capsule of what people were thinking right around the end of the year 2000, you lack any context to actually know what is valid from that. Like what yeah. did end up being the truth, what was really, you know, necessarily happening, what were the impacts and implications. Um, so, yeah, I don't I didn't like the like hands offness of it because I think it 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 would allow someone now who had absolutely no context, which now that that's far enough away is is easy to find someone who has absolutely no context to look at that and get the wrong conclusions of what it was. Yeah. 
like I could see somebody almost being like, well, you know, human history is full of this kind of bullshit. We shouldn't worry about climate change. Like, uh, it's probably not, you know, a thing that could. <laughs> Y2K was some bullshit right. that was overblown. This could easily be overblown. Um, and it's just like, no. Yeah, some some documentaries, it is like the filmmakers charged to to have that kind of anchor for the audience and others, you know, I would say more intimate pieces don't necessarily have to have a narrative if they're about like a smaller section of something, but this is like about humanity and about that whole occurrence in like a really broad population. Um, it's, it's kind of wild to just leave it open-ended like that and be like, here's the footage. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Draw your own conclusions, kids. Um, yeah, that's a that that's pretty wild. Um, the the thing that I always remember most from that time, like the cultural thing of Y two K that sticks with me, is do you remember the Sports Center Y two K ad from from like there was like in nineteen ninety nine when the Sports Center ad came out, and it was like by far the best thing that ESPN has ever done. With the year two thousand approaching, we're trying to make sure the software here at Sports Center is Y two K compliant. It was like they're <laughs> counting down to the new year in like the ESPN control room. Like, all right, we're ready for the 2000 switch. Y2K test in three, two, one. And then, like, the lights go out and the TVs all go static. Everybody starts going crazy. Like, Mark McGuire is, like, breaking printers <laughs> yeah. with a baseball bat. <laughs> and people are just running around, like, stealing shit out of the fridge. And then it cuts to one of the Sports Center anchors, and he has a tie tied around his head. He's carrying a lantern, and he goes, Follow me! <laughs> and it just runs down a hallway and the ad ends and it's just like I don't know what the fuck the point of that was but it was hilarious <laughs> you should not say anything about SportsCenter there's a clip of like SportsCenter anchors trying to do SportsCenter like by candlelight but like no one is watching because the broadcasting no equipment doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing it did it did really make me wonder about especially because presenting it now I was like kind of just wondering like why it's a documentary it did feel like it ended up being like um a money grab it's like someone approved it and then they're like cool yeah. we'll just edit shit together and then we don't have to do anything else like we made a documentary um that, that yeah i kind of was like it might be interesting to actually have something to actually talk about y2k and contextualize I mean, it that topic is primed to be put up against you know discussions of the singularity and, you know, the evolution of, of AI or what we right now is called AI um, and sort of like that and like tech as a problem, like the evolution of tech and the constant advancement of tech and like the problems that it poses and the fake scares that it conjures and feeds into with the media. Like, I don't know, there's, there's clearly trends and patterns where it's yeah. like for a while the metaverse was big hot fucking shit and now it's actual hot fucking shit like it's just it, it sucks <laughs> and, hey, and those then, 20 people in the metaverse really enjoy it yeah <laughs> maybe we should go um, stake a, a claim in the metaverse there's a whole lot of real estate afterthoughts could take up <laughs> yeah no i i agree with all the like hype and scare around ai right now it could be interesting to contextualize it against the the time period of the late 90s in particular not necessarily just y2k but the 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 increase in internet and computers in general was huge and yeah. a big change and a lot of people were scared not just the y2k just scared in general and they had a few clips where they did touch a bit on like the the newness of the world of computers and how it was going to become all of this to you and in your life uh, again some of which were like comically wrong 
um, and misunderstandings of like how code works or what computers are going to do, what computer <laughs> chips are in. But they did they did have like a couple clips with Grace Hopper, um, and she was talking about like original bugs and her first work on like the really early computers. And she explicitly said kind of what you're saying of like people were terrified of phones that yeah. they were going to destroy everything. She was like, they're terrified of books. Like every new piece of technology, everyone suddenly jumps up and says, this is going to be the end of it all. Um, and she's like, yeah, people are just scared of it because it's new. And as they, you know, we begin to adopt it and use it like, yes, it can be good. Yes, it can be bad. But like just immediately gut reaction of terror is wrong. Um, I, I think that that style of documentary where it, it's mostly editing can be an interesting approach. It sounds like, it was a bit lacking in this case. But I think a lot of times if you have too much voiceover and interviews, it can kind of feel a little bit too crafted. And sometimes if you're just editing things from the time, it can feel more real and less editorialized. Um, and obviously, like if you're making a documentary, you are putting your own stamp on it and choosing the clips that are being shown. But I do feel like sometimes documentaries can suffer from they just like do this standard documentary format that every documentary does or, or like every mm. mediocre documentary where it's like we interview people, we show clips, there's lots of talking heads and yep. it is what it is. And there's not a lot of creative filmmaking involved. And I feel like that's kind of a cop out for documentaries. Like you can still make an interesting creative movie that is doing new things that, uh, you know, doesn't have to follow the documentary formula. Um, and you know, just foregoing narration isn't necessarily like, uh, you know, something new or different. But I do think sometimes when I see a documentary like that, it's kind of refreshing to pull away from the traditional format. But it, it does sound like some context would have been very helpful in this situation. Yeah, I think it's that the, the difficulty of framing it around Y2K in particular, that mm -hmm. there was so... And, you know, maybe I'm being super opinionated, but I feel like there was so little actual understanding at the time. Right. That is yeah. what's part of the problem that going back and showing it and not talking about the fact that the hype is because there was so little information and such misinformation, a little understanding yeah. kind of misses it. If you were framing like we're just going to talk about technology growth, like we're not going to call it Y2K bomb. We're just going to talk about the technology growth and change at the turn of the century, then you include Y2K as part of it, but you, you know, you, you, you just show more about like, Hey, remember micro center, remember circuit city, like you kind of <laughs> just give the, like, this is what it used to be. And they have some shots that are kind of like that, but it, it, it presented itself as giving you everything about Y2K not, but it ended up being like, yeah, it was a snapshot of time, which is interesting, but it, it yeah. And it's like, because it didn't give me anything else other than a title and then throw me into it, I, I am kind of reaching my own conclusion about what it is, which I think is the other problem is like, you should at least hand me a little bit of like, here's what we were trying to do. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes sense in this case. Cool. Uh, so it sounds like this is a refute. From yeah, it's you, a Ryan. refute. Yeah. Okay. I'll let you know if I find cool. something actually a Y2K. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it I sounds like, like I need to look. There's a lot of uh, information to mine there to create a pretty interesting documentary, but yeah. um, hopefully, hopefully we'll see one of those at some point. Uh, John, what did you watch this week? Well, um, I speaking of kind of the uh, 
doomsdayers and apocalyptic stuff. Uh, one, I watched two things that are technically about that. One of them was downsizing, um, which Dixon, you had kind of oh. warned against doing. Uh, but Sasha yes. saw the uh, Netflix thing for it and really wanted to. Um, I liked it. I actually liked it. Uh, and okay. yeah, it was, it was, you know, interesting, not my favorite Alexander Payne, but there it was. Um, uh, but I don't really want to talk about that one. I want to talk about something that kind of surprised me. Um, because I think a few months back I had, uh, mentioned to y'all that I had watched this, uh, at least the first episode of it. So I'm bringing a TV show. Um, I had subscribed to Peacock so that I could watch the holdovers. Um, and <laughs> now I have a month of Peacock that I have to do something with. Which, what the fuck is on that that actual streaming service that I care about? Um, not much. So I started looking around and I was like, well, a few months back I watched like one episode of Twisted Metal. 20 years ago, the world fell to shit. Cities put up walls to protect themselves and threw the criminals out so they could fight over what was left. But there are humble motherfuckers like me delivering cargo from one walled city to another. That's where the cars and guns come in. Give me the package, You have no idea what's out east. Even the people trying to bring the law back are dangerous. This is our land. These are our roads. And they're gonna have to go through Vegas. I wanna hire you. Pick up a package, bring it back. I can make your every wish come true. So John, what do you wish for? Toilet paper, two ply. I think I can do better. Three ply? And uh, I decided I'm just going to go back and watch the rest of Twisted Metal. And I'll just make that, you know, hey, I paid for Peacock to watch the holdovers in Twisted Metal. Good enough for me. Um, Twisted Metal is a show based on a PlayStation game. PlayStation 1 and beyond is kind of like a, one of the staple franchises that I remember um, selling that console back in the 90s. And it's all about... There was like a period of time where a lot of games were just about cars with guns and or vehicles with guns fighting other vehicles with guns because uh, we're a big car culture and that's fucking rad when you put we're also a big gun culture. So you put them together and you get like <laughs> the peanut butter and chocolate of violence and adrenaline uh, and <laughs> Twisted Metal had all these fucking wild characters or some dude who has giant wheels for arms or some shit and another a clown that drives a fucking ice cream truck named Sweet Tooth who fucking fires missiles and whatever else um i remember seeing stories about like oh this uh, peacock is adapting twisted metal and it's gonna be a show and i was like how do you fucking do that for a battle royale about cars with guns like i just don't see there being any room for cool storytelling john hasn't seen death race clearly. <laughs> i haven't seen death race <laughs> that's right um but like especially for that game i was just like it's all so weird and i don't know really how well it's going to be pulled off and then anthony mackie was announced as being like the lead for it and i have nothing against anthony mackie i you know he's fun in what he's in but i was just kind of like i don't know if this is going to work i don't really know who anthony mackie's playing or what this is but uh, I watched one episode of it a month or two ago and I ended up like really liking it. Like the car stunts were cool. The car fights had cool choreography to them. Um, like the first episode has kind of this race through an abandoned mall and there's explosions and all this other shit going on. Um, and people just getting completely shredded, super gory. Uh, and that it sets the stage for it. So the whole premise of the show is that we follow a character played by Anthony Mackie named John Doe. He doesn't remember who he is, where he's from. He lives in this apocalyptic version of the United States um, in which like 
Cities have become sanctuary cities. They like built giant walls to keep everybody out. They're, the streets are riddled with like Mad Max-esque raiders and um, psychopaths and all these other characters that are just out there fucking around in cars in a different way. And uh, that's all that it really does. The first episode sets up like, oh, he's a, he's what's called a milkman who does deliveries. And all milkmen have cars that have the Got Milk bumper sticker on them to let everybody else know they're a milkman and a neutral party. Um, so he starts doing deliveries for San Francisco. And the, the like president of the San Francisco colony or fucking stronghold is like, hey, if you do this one run for me, uh, we need it done in 10 days. You have to go to New Chicago and pick up this package and bring it back to us. And we'll set you up with a penthouse in in New San Francisco and all of the things that you would ever want, like a whole life that you've never had before. Um, and that's like the whole premise of it. Along the way, he meets uh, a character named Quiet, played by Stephanie Beatrice, who is in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And the two of them forge like an unlikely alliance and uh, start like driving across the wasteland together. There's a bunch of other characters like Samoa Joe is in this playing Sweet Tooth and he's fucking great. He's voiced. uh, They do a dub of Will Arnett voices Sweet Tooth, the character. Jason Manzoukas is in this and he plays a character named Preacher who is a fucking insane bike rider dude who has forged. He used to be a an actual preacher. And then when the apocalypse happened, he was like, where was God? Fuck God. We're all god now and like starts a cult of bike riders <laughs> who who just fuck around and they're all into bdsm <laughs> like do cocaine and shit um the show sounds like the role is, jason Minzukis was born to play oh and he's great in it he's so fucking good <laughs> uh the show's really fucking fun um i will say like narratively it feels a bit rushed the episodes are each like a solid 20 to 30 minutes um where they have uh, kind of character growth in each one that they're pushing through. And so after a while, you kind of get the rhythm that like, okay, each episode is going to have something that builds and builds. Um, None of them really take time to slow down and uh, really examine parts of like a single character. Um, Thomas Hayden Church is also in this playing a cop who uh, was never respected because he was mall security before the apocalypse. And now he like wields authoritarian power with like extreme prejudice. Um, And it's just like got this amazing cast, really fucking wild action, uh, really absurd, comical style. Like it's just dark comedy. Um, There's a lot of gore and violence in it. But it all serves like how fucking absurd and strange. And it's like watching Mad Max, but like being able to laugh every few minutes. Um, So, yeah, it's it definitely came out of nowhere for me. I did not expect to like it as much as I do. Uh, But it's it's really I don't know. It's charmed me. It won me over. And I'm I think they're going to do a season two somehow. I I don't know how Peacock did that, but uh i'm interested to see it i'm totally down uh having seen what i already saw and understanding that they get it they know what they what they are and what they're doing um yeah it's fun it really does seem like video game franchises are finding like the the ability to be something and be something decent in television particularly the streaming television um where so many movies for so long have failed to hit it and I, I think, you know, this is a good example where there's not really anything to go on from the games yeah. other than sort of some characters and some design work. 
Um, but really atmosphere, right? Like that's what video games provide you as a medium is an, is an atmosphere, a world, a world to be in and play around if they don't give you like good stories per se. Yeah. Like they're not always like that great of a story, but you're just a part of it. Um, it seems like, yeah, being able to explore more of the world and characters in a looser format like television and not be locked to like, I got two hours or less than an hour and a half, maybe to like give you something, um, ends up being the issue. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I know there's like a loose story around some of the games and characters and you can always go look up articles that'll try to like piece together who's who and what's what, but it really seems like this went for more of like the writers get the vibe and they're going to do what they're good at writing like strong characters and good story and like the action pieces and the stunt people are going to do what they're the best at. And it all just comes together really well and nobody is ashamed of the source material or tries to hide it. Uh, people right. just are like, fine. There's a whole colony of truck drivers who never stop driving in this movie and their truck turns into a town. Like they just, the trucks come together and form different rooms that you go between. And I was like, the, this is fucking wild. It would never work, but it's awesome. <laughs> How do they refuel like planes in they, the air? Like they, yeah, exactly. They like drive alongside each other and <laughs> like other shit happens. Um, and when they need medicine, they send somebody out in like a car and like go pick it up. And then that person comes back through the truck ramp and like they have to match speed and shit. It's so fucking wild. This sounds like a cross between the Jason Statham movie Transporter and the Jason Statham movie Death Race with maybe <laughs> a little bit of Mad Max Fury Road sprinkled in. Yep. Um, why isn't Jason Statham in this movie? What's what's going on with that? Um, and does it have does it have that vibe of like a fun, stupid Jason Statham action movie? It does, and there's a lot of like banter and quips between characters, and uh, really good set gags and like action pieces that you don't expect that are like played for laughs and comical. This also is a show that has the first, I think, of any show or movie I've ever seen, um, extensive sex scene in a ball pit and like a McDonald's. <laughs> Oh, my. Oh, you don't want to do There's so many STDs in that ball pit. Yeah, and it's like, it's great because like every set piece has its own like bit of lore that's fun to uncover. Whereas like Mad Max, you roughly get the idea that, hey, Max just has to be on the road and you're going to hit, eventually you're going to hit like the Thunderdome or these colonies and they're all roughly same vibe here. It's like, what if you walked into a Burger King and the entire staff became cultists who believed they were going to ascend to like the Astro Burger heaven plane and they killed each other in like a fridge or some shit, like any place that a character could wander into Las Vegas or others. There's like some fucking psychopath or thing that's happened there that has so much character and like weird backstory just infused in it. And it's darkly funny. Um, It's, it's great. Yeah, I was going to say the Fallout games, like it sounds a little bit like some of the stuff from Fallout, yeah. which is the same thing. I've, I've heard like attempts to adapt that at some point. I'm like, it would have to be the same thing where you just like you have the character going to some of these places and getting into the location and the people because that's what the game is or isn't really necessarily a through story. Yeah, this it does like world building along the way and it'll lay out like rules and that kind of stuff. But there's also just like moments where you're like, I guess I'll get a glimpse of whatever this fucking gang is. Like, yeah, Jason, Jason Manzukas's gang is called the Holy Men. And there's a church bell you hear when they're nearby. It always just like gongs in the distance for like Not no there. reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, is someone carrying around a church bell? Yeah, like I don't. They never show where it is. <laughs> it just like happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Sasha watched an episode with me, and then we've just been watching it together, and and basically finished it out in a, a matter of days. Um, so one of those other shows where it's like this is just fun. This is just a good time. It's interesting, like that that would get adapted as we're talking about. Like <laughs> it's sort of like Sony always struggled to have a face for their consoles the way that uh nintendo has mario easily had with mario and sega managed to get relatively quickly with sonic sony kind of never ended up getting one yeah but sony over the years has created a lot of first party very recognizable uh, very recognizable sony things and and honestly twisted metal in a lot of games like like seven or eight games or something i think in the twisted metal franchise and it's recognizable mainly the clown but like it was always out there and all in there Sony like cross games where they did cross play with different franchises. They would throw twisted metal in there usually. Um, and so I think that the, yeah, those look like they're trying to tap into that. Like, all right, what else do we have in the old back catalog of Sony to make into a TV show or a movie? Um, and then, and then just pick this and ran with it kind of like Sony doesn't have a strong streaming partner. So I guess like they're just, which is weird because they have their own Peacock. streaming services, but they just don't, like they have crackle and like, or they had right. Crackle. They, they don't still? really use I don't those. Know what the fuck that is? Did they? Didn't they have? I don't remember. They had some other. I almost stuff forgot too. that crackle ever existed. Like that was a thing in <laughs> yeah. like what 20, 2012. Crackle had a moment and yeah. then disappeared, and nobody ever so thought about it. How again. a streaming well, service like, ends, not with a bang, but with a crackle. <laughs> yes. No. They had. <laughs> got them. They had PS View. They had their own like television. Yeah, <laughs> thing that they could have used to put something, but they barely even told anyone what that was or how to use it if you didn't have a PlayStation. It's like <laughs> Sony's kind of always been strange with their with their properties. And now they're milking um, Spider-Man by proxy. It. And it's yeah, like they're just going to keep milking Spider-Man forever. <laughs> that's all they get to do. All right. So that's a recommend Absolutely. for Twisted Metal. Yeah. Uh, well, Dixon, what do you got? Bring us home. Yeah. So I am going to talk about a four-hour documentary that John and I watched at Austin Film Society a few days ago. Um, It had been getting a bunch of critic awards. I believe the LA Film Critics here with their Documentary of the Year Award and some other critics institutions have done so. Um, And I was interested in checking it out. It is a documentary by Frederick Wiseman called, I'm going to try to pronounce this very French title, Menu Plaisir Les Trois Gras. César, Léo, Marion. César, qui est chef de cuisine dans cette maison. Léo, qui est chef de cuisine à la colline du Colombier. Uh, that's my best guess. Um, that's Paris, Texas but, uh, pronunciation we'll... right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey. Uh, menus, plaiser, les Troy, go- Troy Gross. Um, <laughs> Anyway, we'll we'll dub in the actual uh, present you know pronunciation of, of this documentary. Menu plaisir les trois gros. But uh, Frederick Wiseman is ninety three years old, and he has been making documentaries since nineteen sixty seven. Uh, Titty Cut Follies was his first movie that he made, and he has become uh, famous among like film and documentary nerds for making very immersive documentaries. Some of them very long, where. He just kind of ingratiates himself into a community or a system 
and turns the camera on to the point where people kind of forget that he's there and you get these really interesting um kind of stories that explain how systems work um he made a documentary a few years ago called city hall that i know all the three of us have seen that um it's kind of a fascinating look at the city of boston just following around the mayor and looking at how the interworkings of the city council and the city government function and i thought that was a really fascinating documentary kind of understanding local government a little bit better and how things actually get done and, and how things work menu Plaisir Le Trois Gras uh, takes place in France at a three Michelin star restaurant uh, that is run by an, an older gentleman, and um, he has two adult sons who are also chefs, uh, one of which runs this fancy Michelin star restaurant, and the other of which runs a different restaurant that the family owns that's like a little bit more laid back. Um, but it's, it's pretty fascinating. It is four hours long. Um, so, you know, sitting through it in one sitting is, uh, is a lot. It's produced by PBS. So I'm wondering if it's going to be available for free at some point um, to watch at your leisure and, and to break it up into chunks. Um, pretty much all of this stuff is on PBS. Yeah. Like, there's uh, they've a lot been can... great about sponsoring his work. So, um, yeah, yeah. You can, you can go back and watch a lot of stuff, which is pretty cool. But I was talking to the lady friend about this and I was like, I think you would like this, but there's no way you would sit down for the whole thing. So like, you know, it'll probably be available through PBS at some point and you can watch it in, you know, three or four sittings. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the it, it's really interesting. So it, it starts out following the, the head chef and his two sons and they're kind of talking through how they're planning the menus for the day. And it, it's interesting to see just like people who are really good at what they do sitting down and getting into little arguments about like whether almonds should or not should or should not be included in the sauce for a particular dish and the reasons why and like what the almonds are doing to the flavor and whether it's making the flavor too complicated or it's balancing it out appropriately and, and kind of getting into little details like that that are you know explained enough to the point where you can kind of understand but it's two experts talking to each other so you're kind of having to infer things as the movie goes on but um it's kind of following a couple days over the course of of these two restaurants and you know you see a lot of the planning thinking about okay who's coming to the restaurant tonight who is a like vip who is not how do we like make sure that we are catering to all of the dietary needs of all the customers that are coming in and then the chefs sitting down and designing the menu for that day and making you know kind of figuring out as they go, make test batches to get it right before people actually come in. The chef will come in and try something and be like, no, needs more salt or you fucked this up. You got to change this and that. Um, all of the effort that goes into very precise plate presentation and, and all of these things were uh, kind of fascinating. And then we spend a lot of time out at the suppliers for the restaurant too. Like we go to a cattle farm and learn about how this cattle rancher thinks he makes the best beef there is because he does it a very specific way and you know rotates the the cows along the grass in a specific form to where they're always getting the best food and uh, you know we go to a cheese cave for 20 minutes where we just talk about cheese aging and and how that that works and how they're then sourcing that from there to the restaurant uh, and it's it's interesting to see kind of all the pieces come together and then when the guests show up seeing what they order how the waiters interact with the guests how the waiters interact with the sh with the kitchen staff to get the food out to to the guests you know 
appropriately and on time, meeting all of the dietary restrictions, all of that. Um, you know, it's a, it's obviously a restaurant is obviously a very complex system. There's a lot of moving parts and, you know, especially at a place that's like a snooty Michelin star French restaurant, like they have to abide by a lot of pomp and circumstance. And there's a lot of, of things that have to go right in order to maintain the air that they are, are trying to put on. So, um, I thought it was a really interesting analysis of how all of that works. Um, you know, Wiseman's documentaries, there are no interviews, kind of like I was talking, uh, you know, earlier, Ryan, we were talking about the Y2K documentary. It's just, you're, you're in it. There's no introduction. You just start out and you're there and you kind of have to pick things up as you go and, and, you know, pick up context as you move along. And I saw John, like there's some information that was given to us later in the movie. It's like, well, that would have been, would have been helpful to maybe have earlier in the movie, but it's just kind of, you're, you're on this ride and you're learning as you're going and discovering more about how this ecosystem works and, and how it all comes together. So, um, I thought it was really interesting. Um, uh, John, you, you also saw it with me. What, uh, what were your thoughts? When, when we got out, I remember saying like, well, <laughs> as somebody who, uh, subscribes to the vegan philosophy and lifestyle. This movie had a lot of information I did not care about and would it made me sad. <laughs> but at the same time, there was a lot that was like, I could understand the amount of technical detail that goes into it. And it was, I could appreciate it for, it's very, un, it had an unbiased eye when it came to it. Like, I know that the, the, the cinematography and lineup of sh certain shots is meant to convey just how beautiful the food is, how beautiful the location is, like all of the effort and time that's put into these dishes to make the food an art form. And likewise, um, there is no patron spared from the camera. And I appreciated that uh -huh. all the more <laughs> as we continue to dive into like, here's this family that has all these allergies. Here's this family. They have come here so many times. Here's this roving pack of white men who've come in from the UK <laughs> and are here to talk about how much they know about everything. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, just like it's, it's almost like getting to be that, that wallflower that observes um, and you can, you could, you could gossip if you want to, cause they'll never hear you. <laughs> and so there were parts yeah, that we both, point, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there were parts where like you and I just looked at each other in the theater and laughed <laughs> because of the fucking <laughs> conversations that were being way too indulgent and just seemed like these people either they were, you know, very respectful and it was a cool and interesting, like the chef would come out and talk with them. And there were some things where it was like his whole like family legacy would unfold in a conversation. And at other times, it just seemed like he was kind of like, all right, I have to talk to these people. Like, I have to appease them. They clearly want to mm. be regulars here. They've paid a lot. Like, um, but th those parts were fascinating. Watching them debate prices was amazing, too, where they were just like, they want this, like, 5,000 euro bottle of wine that, like, there's only one of them that exists right now from this certain year. And this person said that they would pay for it. So we're going to hold it for them and hope that they make good. And all this other, it was just like fascinating mm. to watch those bits. Um, yeah. Learning about cheese mold. Yeah, the, I was like, cool. I don't have to eat cheese anymore. <laughs> anyway. Oh, that was so gross. Like the, the concept of cheese disgusts me. Like I will, I will eat it. But if I think about it too much, I'm like, no, I can't, I can't eat this. It's just like milk that has gone horribly wrong, you know? And like, yeah, the guy's talking about how like, well, if a cheese is like producing good mold, we'll scrape the mold off of this cheese and 
smear it onto some other cheese so that that cheese molds properly. I'm like, oh god, it's like the old method of vaccinations, <laughs> except yeah. it's yeah. like for the intent of spreading it. <laughs> if, if if one kid gets a good case of chicken pox, yeah. you send him with this. Yeah, hang on with all the oh, other. Oh boy, kids. now we got a stew yeah. going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I watched the thing the other day that talked about how the Swiss government uh, like regulates Swiss cheese, and they found out that they've had they've had to go back and add dust purposely <laughs> into the process of making Swiss oh, cheese because otherwise amazing. the holes won't form. Ah. And then they're like all the processing and cleanliness of everything was like re- eliminating the holes in Swiss cheese. So they went back and they add dust in now as part of the process. Can't they just oh punch God, holes gross. out of the cheese? <laughs> I don't understand. I get the natural forming part, but geez. <laughs> So uh, we we need to have a certain level of asbestos in this cheese. Yeah, exactly. it, it will be it right. classic. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be seasoned uh, the right way. <laughs> um, yeah, John, you're referencing kind of like feeling like you're people watching without the guilt. The yeah. the the bro table that you mentioned, these like British business bros that were clearly there on like a fancy business lunch, catering to their clients, and these dudes are like, you know, it's like a, the guy who wants to seem like he knows a lot about wine but doesn't really know what he's talking about and he's like this, this dude clearly is like knows he's on camera and is trying to sound super smart and like i had just told you john like a couple days before i was like i just can't stand like wine snobbery bullshit <laughs> where, we're like, talking about sideways people talk about yeah we're talking about sideways yeah and like people talk about how wine tastes like things that people don't actually consume and you know there's just so much like faux intellectual bullshit around it that I just like I hate that so like it, it you know it's like whiskey has some of that around it but it's much less so and it's just you know like uh but I don't know I've never been able to, to really get past that aspect of wine so I've never really wanted to get into it but this this bro sitting there with his glass of wine it's swirling it around a million times and takes a big sniff like so the camera can hear him like like really <laughs> trying to make people know that like oh yeah like i'm really getting into this and he's like oh it just smells so good the, the tannins are so well distributed and like, I, don't, I don't know if that's a thing in wine the tannins can be well distributed but like it's a fucking liquid dude like it's like everything is distributed that's like by definition it what it is it's not lopsided i don't i don't know um and then he's like, he tastes it and he's like, oh yeah, this wine is like, you know, it's going to be there for you and it's going to reward you down the road, but it also wants to please you now. <laughs> like, what are you talking? Are we talking about wine? What's going on here? Like, <laughs> uh, so there, like, I liked that Wiseman clearly takes his subject seriously and he's very interested in how this restaurant functions, but he's not above kind of like finding the humor in the bullshit customers and and showing those little humorous moments even in letting like the the bickering breathe between like a father and son about you know almonds and there's like a whole scene with brains <laughs> that's in it where they have like oh yeah like goat brains i think that one of the chefs forgets to or like the cooks forgets to like drain them properly and then it just hard cuts to him and like the head chef reading books about <laughs> how you're supposed to prepare brains <laughs> like it just lets that reading, like the escoffier encyclopedia <laughs> or something like you know like see i told you i was right you have to drain the blood out of the brains or else it's not going to cook right and, and like, he's like, always this, consult this book. these books if you don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's like, this book says something different. And he's like, let me see that. <laughs> Get it over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah, a fun time. And it's one of those, like, 
I don't know. I like, I'm starting to like more and more of those kind of documentaries. It sounds like <clears throat> compared to the one that you watched, Ryan, that one was like a compilation of, you know, media clips and it was all of like forming a narrative around what those clips were. And this is way more like, just get into it. Like just be in the room with people and like, let the silence kind of fill the room when it needs to. And uh, other times it'll like take you out, you know, where you need to just kind of like sit and reflect on what's happening. Um, but yeah, I, I would say also like for me, the the one complaint that I really had was that we just didn't know when it was going to end or like where it was going. Like Wiseman's, if you're going to do that style, you run the risk of like exhausting your audience with like when when is it actually going to have a conclusion or what is the conclusion? Um, and in this instance, it kind of softly ends on a talk about the legacy of the chef and his family and like where they're going. But it's done through a conversation he has with a patron. And after that, it like... There's no, because you don't have talking heads and you don't have anybody giving an intro outro, it just like ends. And then you just hear the sounds of the restaurant and that's like how it rolls out. So I was like, hmm, that's, that's probably my only main complaint about it. The four hour runtime where I didn't know how or when it was going to go somewhere or what it's going to do, but that's the risk of it. Yeah. And I mentioned to you, John, after we watched it, I was like, I felt like the first half had kind of a clear narrative it was developing where it's like, you see the chefs planning the day. You see them go out to the mm -hmm. suppliers and talk to them. You see them come back and talk to their sous chefs and plan out the meals. Then the guests start to show up and you see all of that. And then it cuts to their other restaurant and you see kind of like them serving their meals. And then all of a sudden we're back to suppliers again, right? Like we're at the cheesecake for 20 minutes. So I'm like, wait a minute. Like, And then we kind of do some more supplier stuff. And then we go back to the restaurant and we have like another batch of guests come. And it, it felt like... Um, a bit disjointed in the second half. I still think it was very well done and very interesting, but I kind of liked the day in the life feel that the first half plus of the movie had. And then the rest of the way, I was like, I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm not really sure where this is going. And if it's, you know, when it's, we're getting close to our conclusion here. Yeah. What would uh, you want to yeah. see uh, from Wiseman? You know, he's done politics, schools, oh, I know this one. like a restaurant. Yeah. What would be the like documentary of like you just get dropped in that you would want to see? I told Dixon. The I, CIA. Yeah. That, I told Dixon <laughs> that I wanted him to embed with the mafia. Like that'd be cool to see. Oh, wow. <laughs> tomato, tomato. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pick your poison. It's they're all the same. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that would be cool just to, to have him. I mean, not cool, but it would it would be an interesting look. And uh, one of those things that like, that's when Frederick Wiseman goes to work for vice when he's 103 or whatever, <laughs> like PBS stops funding his productions. <laughs> It'll never happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's still going strong at 93 years old. I don't know how he keeps making these four hour documentaries. Um, I've seen his most recent four films um, and including city hall and I'm, I'm fascinated to see more of his work, but it feels like such a daunting task to go back and watch these long documentaries that are structured like this over the past 55 years. Um, you know, there's just so much to go back to. Um, I've heard Ex Libris is really great. It's about the New York Public Library. Um, I've heard Titty Cut Follies is, is great about an insane asylum. It's like there's, there's a lot of stuff that I'm like, oh, that sounds fascinating. I'd love to go back and check that out. Yeah. Cool. So that's a recommend from me for, let me give this, uh, here we go again. Give this another shot yeah, here. Here we go. Menu Plessier 
Le Tua Gras. Someday uh, he'll get it, folks. Someday. <laughs> uh, no, probably not. Gorlami. Uh, Gorlami. <laughs> Buongiorno. If ever it's worse, it's simple. Uh, cool. Okay. All right. So we have a refute for Y two K. Yeah. Time bomb Y two K. Yeah. And we have a recommend for Twisted Metal and a recommend for Menu Plaisir Les Trois Grands. That Frederick Wiseman documentary <laughs> that I just said the title of. The 2023 Frederick Wiseman <laughs> documentary. <laughs> Expertly done. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us this week on Afterthoughts. I have been your host, Michael Dixon. With me, as always, Ryan King. Are we like one really long like documentary into our lives? Like just hours and hours you could just sit and get in on us watching movies? I think so. Sure, I guess. Con, long game. You know, ev- everyone is editing their own documentary as as they go yeah. about their lives and make decisions. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> and John Garcia, menu plaisir le trois Did I do it? No. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.